Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Roundtable Podcast, where we interview experts who tackle the tough topics and share strategies and techniques that will help you start, build, and grow your real estate investing business. And now your host, Rob the House Guy. Today's episode is going to be all about direct mail. And who better to have on the show than these two guys? We have Joe Lieber and Brad Weber, two powerhouses in the real estate business. And I'm Rob, the house guy, your host. And welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, direct mail. We all heard about it forever. We've all heard about from way back in the day with people doing direct mail with the, um, I believe it all started with the, uh, the record club where you could put a penny and get records for the rest of your life. How does direct mail relate to real estate? That's a great question. I, I, short answer for that, I think, and Joe, you'd probably agree with this. Short answer for that is it's, it's probably one of the most effective, easiest ways to get yourself exposed as a real estate investor for potential sellers of property. So when you're reaching out to these folks, you're just saying, hey, I'm Joe, I'm Brad, and I buy houses. <laughs> There's a fine getting exposed. I mean, I want to really break this down because our whole point of these shows are to bring it down to such a basic understanding of what we're talking about for someone that's just really getting started and bring it all the way to the level of someone that can use some of this knowledge to implement in their business today. Because these are things we wish we'd have known 20, 25 years ago when we got started. So when I ask you some really basic stuff, that's why. So Rob, what I do is I, I do targeted lists. Right, and there's many different ways to do this. You can go to your uh, different lead sources and buy general data. But what I try to do is buy specific lists, like uh, triggers. I call it trigger data. Things like evictions, probates, divorces, uh, code violations. So there's a trigger there to get a response. I want to try to get the highest response possible. So I'm looking for a situation. Is what I'm looking for when doing direct mail. Yeah, these things always happen, and, and he's right with the trigger stuff. I mean. The bottom line is you want to be able to get yourself into a position where the people know that you want to buy something, right? But then the question becomes, who is it that you're trying to target? And it's right. the trigger situation. It's the situations where um, there's a, a, a major life change happening for somebody and the sale of a property can alleviate that problem for them. So yeah, you want to target uh, the way Joe's talking. Yeah. So basically the three things you really have to have, you have to have the right audience with the right message at the right time. Absolutely. So, so we're hitting the right audience mm -hmm. with the triggers. Let's talk about the message. Are you breaking down your messages specifically towards that target? Are you just doing one blanket all when you're messaging? I have a different letter for the most part or postcard for each individual situation if I can. I do have general letters that talk about, you know, I'm, I'm buying houses and if there's something you need to sell, please call me. But uh, it's not always just real estate. We find with our inbound lead calls, people are selling other things. There's cars that people are trying to sell. There's uh, uh, Rolex watches they're trying to sell. Like there's all well, kinds of different things. You know? That's the thing. Like money doesn't solve all problems, but it fixes a lot of them. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you, in differing from the way Joe does stuff, I tend to blanket. So I look for specifically just uh, maybe an equity position in areas that I know I like to buy, certain zip codes, things like that. Yeah. And we'll target just the equity position of that specific property. So maybe you know um, a certain percentage less than the value of the property on tax data. Uh, if, if the equity is there, there's no mortgage above and beyond that, they're getting a letter from me. 
Uh, and it's for worst case scenario for me, it's brand recognition. All right, Brad, you mentioned high equity is who you're mailing. So if someone has a $100,000 house, they owe 30. What would make them want to sell over somebody that owes more? That's a good question. You know, I, I don't know that they would necessarily want to sell. That's entirely situational. Depends on like what Joe said. Are they in, a, are they in the need to sell? Is there pain in their situation? Um, but I can say, you know, it's much, it's much more appropriate for us to target somebody that has a high equity position on their home, meaning low debt on their property because we're discount home buyers. That's what we all do. As, as real estate investors, your target audience, uh, you're, what you're targeting is being able to buy something at a discount. Now, if the debt on the property is, is low enough uh, and their, their pain, their situation is, is appropriate and it can be a win-win for you and for the seller, having low debt allows you to be able to buy the home at a discount and still create a situation that might solve a problem for the seller. All right, so we're really not looking necessarily for a trigger problem there. It's more of just the conditions are right in case they do want to sell. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if the, it, even if somebody has a, a really rough situation, a trigger situation like Joe was saying, but their, their debt is beyond what you could pay for that property to be able to buy it at a discount, that, that creates a bit of a problem. There's some solutions to that situation, but much easier if the debt's low. There are guys, and don't discount that. So, you know, 15 years ago, how I made a lot of my living was people who were over equity, who didn't have equity in their home. And if one thing changes in their life, they lose a job, there's a divorce, there's a, a death, they can't make that mortgage payment now. And that's mm -hmm. a situation, right? And I have taken people who have $100,000 homes, who owe $100,000 on them, and negoci negotiated short sales very successfully with banks. And that's still going on today. You can still negotiate some great short sales with lenders and create equity out of thin air. Well, let me pause you. Yeah. And let me explain what a short sale is, just okay. in case there's someone's know. Mm -hmm. A short sale is if there's $100,000 owed on a property and you need to be able to buy it at $60,000, then you're convincing the lender or the bank to take a discount on what is owed so you can purchase the property. So it's really just going and getting rid of liens to get it down to where you need to buy it. Correct. Okay, just to, I just want to make sure everyone knew that. Yes, and short sales, they work in any market conditions. So, I mean, I was doing this from 2002 till the bust of 2007 when things were going up and going sky high and banks were still willing and wanting to give discounts. Remember, the bank's position is it takes, at least here in, in our state, it takes a long time to foreclose somebody out. It could take years. Mm -hmm. And the banks want to get rid of these assets as quickly as possible because we all know that banks are not in the real estate business. Right. They're in the banking business, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it, I, and then pre after the, the, the mortgage uh, meltdown we had in 2007, 8, 9, 10, 11, whatever, banks were very receptive to want to do shorts very quickly. Now we're coming out of that again, right? right. Where the mid loss mitigation departments have gotten smaller and it's a little more time, but we're still in the same situation, right? Banks want to sell these properties. They will sell at discounts. And it's our job as investors to educate asset managers and say, hey, here's an asset. You're not going to get your money back. No, you're not gonna be able to go after them because they don't. They lost a job, they had a divorce, whatever the case may be. And and we're, we're creating packages for the bank for people to underwrite and sell to us at discounts because the home needs work and there's no chance of recapturing uh, the payments and things of that nature. So uh, you can create equity in all situations. I do want to mention one thing on the short sell mm -hmm. end, because this is about direct mail, direct response marketing, that when you are reaching directly to a homeowner like that, and you work out a deal saying, look, you owe 100, I need to be able to buy it at 60, we have to convince the bank, that most likely in my experience, you will have to put that on the MLS to get that offer through and use a real estate agent to show the bank that it was on the open market. It can't be a private 
side deal that you have worked with the seller. Do you have any experience with not having to run through MLS or show that it was on the open market? I always, I always list. Uh, I always encourage them to list. We go through that process just to keep everything above board. Yeah. Um, and the hope is that you end up, you know, that I would end up getting the deal uh, if I could, if, if we can work out the negotiation with the bank. But you run the risk that sometimes you don't. Uh, maybe there's another investor that's willing to pay more or even a homeowner that wants to buy it directly. But it has to be exposed uh, in my in my um, Sure, it does experience. need to be exposed, Brad. To go into your point, see, to me, real estate investing is a, is a lifetime business, right? I'm asking not something to do for a period of time. So as many different tools I can put into my tool belt, I want to do. Yep. So I own a real estate brokerage. I'm the broker. I have agents. And that gives me another tool to be able to help sellers. Because really what we want to do is not just buy houses at a discount, make a bunch of money, is to help people in different situations. That's really our job. So sometimes I run across situations where, no, I can't buy that asset. It doesn't make sense. But by having a real estate brokerage, having agents, being a broker, I'm able to list these homes on the MLS and help them with their situations. Yeah, and I would say that it's not necessarily, I mean, we're both licensed. Sure. Um, I don't think it's necessary. You know, if, if whoever's listening here or watching here is, is new, you don't have to be licensed no. to do anything that we do. But it is, like Joe said, tools in your tool belt are extremely helpful, and that, that's sure. a, a big positive. I do the same thing. If I'm meeting with a seller, I can't buy the property, maybe it makes sense for me to list it in certain, certain circumstances. Sure. Yeah. All right, well, let's bring it back to direct mail, because we, we could probably have an entire episode about short sales. Of course. You know, but back onto the direct mail. We mentioned before copy. We were talking, copy is basically the message that you're writing down. You're gonna have different mediums of your copy. You're gonna have sometimes a postcard. Maybe you're gonna have a, uh, a yellow letter. You might have something professionally printed on your company letterhead. So a two-part question. One, what is your favorite medium to put into their mailbox? And the second part of that question is who is writing the message to the people? I don't think there's a magic bullet necessarily. I mean, especially if you're, if you're getting into this and you're new to this or you're, you're looking for more information on what would be appropriate, there's a million different opinions out there about what's better, postcards versus letters. What, what does the letter say? Is it handwritten? Is it typed? Is it printed? Is it all those things? There's a lot of questions that, that can be asked about that and a lot of different opinions that are floating out in the ether about what is appropriate or what isn't. I think the best thing that a newer investor can do for themselves is to get three or four good ideas from whatever resources you have out there and test them, but actually track your numbers. I think that's extremely important. Test them, see what the response rates look like for different styles, different types of copy, different types of, um, of mailers, and then track your own results. See what works for you and for your market, see what you like and, and move from there. That's my opinion. So just to give you a direct answer, uh, what's the best copy? It works for us right now, and this is a great nugget. Uh, don't you guys steal it, all right? Is the Google, the Google Earth pictures. So people get to the postcards with the Google Earth and uh, people open their mailbox up, they get a postcard. Hey, that's a picture of my house or that's uh, the house that their grandma lives in or something and they represent, what is this? And it forces them to look at the postcard. Sure. So we found those are the best, looking at KPIs, those are the best results for us is the Google Earth postcards. All right, so here's a shameless plug for RealFlow since that's who's producing this show. I happen to be a RealFlow user and what's cool about RealFlow is not only do they have the direct mail built in where you could go through and create lists and send them out, the copies already written, it also tracks everything. So it has your KPIs and you know exactly where you are. Because what you said about knowing the numbers, and I want to dive right into that right now, you have to know and track your numbers. Nope. Otherwise, you are just throwing money out the window. So in tracking numbers, let's do the round number of 1,000 mail pieces that went out. What do your numbers look like off of 1,000 mail pieces? How many people are calling? 
How many of those are happy versus sad that you called? How many are actual leads? And then how many deals? So generally, you know, if I'm looking at if I'm looking at trying to get maybe say uh, thirty leads a month, say I want to say I want to buy say I want to buy fifteen houses a year. Okay, I'm going to need to be able to get roughly thirty. 25 to 30 leads per month, and that's gonna that's gonna break down to eight eight direct interviews or conversations with a seller, um, and then five uh, offers made on those properties to buy one house. Okay, the, uh, if I'm doing a thousand letters um, a month, it would break down to probably I don't know 40 or 50. I would say leads out of that per month. Are you seeing the same kind of results? So I, I can't break it down to a thousand because I always mo mail more than a thousand postcards. I can just tell you what my numbers were last month because I know what they are. I just went over my KPIs with my acquisitions manager. I did 6,000 postcards last month. Mm -hmm. We have 90, we got 96 inbound phone calls. 44 of them out of that had a conversation with us. The rest of them told us to go fly a kite. So out of, the, out of those 44 that we had conversations with, it came down to four people that we could actually go see or continue. There was something there. Mm -hmm. Out of those four, one went into contract. So the one we went into contract, though, it's been two weeks and we found out earlier this week that it was a dirty title and we can't close it. Mm, it happens. So it happens, right? Now, that was just last month, right? That was April. So... You know, every month's a little bit different. And we've had months where we mailed that same amount and I purchased two houses, you know? So it just, it I just think that's all depends. A, that's a really important point though, too. And I think that's, for anybody that's that's looking to get into direct mail, you you need patience in this. Have because it's patience. not, I mean, you could send out 5,000 letters one month and get no phone calls the following month, but get mm -hmm. five uh, contracts the month after that. You know, it just, it takes time sometimes. You really do need to be patient. Yeah, about a half to 2% response rate mm -hmm. is really what it is. Um, that's interesting when you talk about that, 90 calls off 6,000 postcards, assuming about 50 cents a postcard, which I, roughly, yeah, I mean, roughly. I'm trying to keep numbers clear yeah, just yeah, get, without getting calculators. It's about three grand. So you just about had a $3,000 acquisition cost for one, mm -hmm. but it had a dirty title. Yep. Shameless plug for Rob the House Guy, I can clean up dirty titles, so send me that lead. Okay. <laughs> I would love to buy that from you because I can usually clean that stuff up. Um, so it is a numbers game, but one thing that would probably concern some of our listeners and viewers, you're talking about 90 phone calls. That's 90 times of answering your telephone. And those calls aren't a minute long. They might be 15, 20, 30 minutes long. An hour. Yeah. An hour. I mean, you're talking about a 40-hour work week getting sucked up by somebody mm -hmm. talking about the sellers painting their bathroom blue. How do you deal with that? So, you know, you're creating rapport with that seller, right? And uh, you want to get to a point where you have somebody, a call screen set up, so what you want to get to. But if you're new to the business, there's no other way to get around this than just good old fashioned hard work. And answering the phone. Yeah, answer no the question. phone. Yep. You've got to earn your way up. There's no other way about it. I had to, I know Brad has to. Rob, I, I assume you, same way. We've all been there, we've all been on that phone and you just got to do it. It freaking is what it is. Right. Exactly. And by the way, I didn't mention before that Realflow is actually 35 cents a postcard now, and though I'm, you know, we pay 50 cents outside That's that. Great. 35 cents a postcard is crazy in their new promotion, and you don't have to use their handwritten copy. You can put your own copy in there. So, yeah. You know, logistically, too, though, as far as the phone ringing, right, with, with Joe t having to take 90 calls in that month, how do you do it, right? I, I will say <clears throat> there is absolutely no replacement for you answering your own phone when you're the one that's going to go look at that house. Now, a lot of us have other people that look at houses for us, you know, once you build up to that point. And a lot of us have call screens, like Joe had mentioned, where 
Um, maybe you have an assistant that takes that phone call and has a, a predetermined script to, to, to get to a point where you set an appointment to view the home. But there's also call centers available um, that I think you've used, I've used, sure. um, that are out there that, that can have a predetermined script and have access to your calendar and set things up for you. But starting with the basics, the number one thing, in my opinion, is to answer your own, own calls when you have that. Just, just grind it out. Hey, this is Andy from RealFlow, and a couple of the most common things we hear from our listeners are, I want to become a real estate investor, but I don't know where to start. Or, I have a real estate investing business, but I'm having trouble scaling. We took these to heart and decided to create the Real Estate Investing Lifecycle, a downloadable PDF which lays out the six foundational steps required to run a successful real estate investing business. You can download your copy today at reilifecycle.com slash start. Happy investing. Do you guys find in today's marketplace that when we're talking about like $3,000, not bad for an acquisition on a house, mm -hmm. we had spoken off camera that $5,000 is about it now. And back when I started in the mid-90s, 500 bucks to acquire property was really what set the old $500 bird dog finder's fee out there. So spending $5,000 to acquire just one deal on a property, are you having a hard time swallowing that? Like, man, it's just getting so expensive. Is it, is it still worth it? it? It's a ratio of, of, of profit to cost. I mean, you know, if, 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 what you're, if you're good enough at buying and you're able to build in the margins that you need to make that worthwhile, that's, that's the key. You just got to get really good at being able to buy a property. If it's going to cost you five grand, um, you better be able to make a margin that makes it worthwhile. And like I like what you said when you said it's nothing like good old hard work. And that's what it's because when you're looking at it's a $5,000 lead, not lead, but $5,000 acquisition cost. Who would you trust with taking that $5,000 phone call? And who are they trusting with the biggest asset they've probably held their entire life? off of a postcard saying, hey, call me, you can trust me. And is the first person that they're gonna get someone that doesn't have the answers or a veteran that's been doing it? Mm -hmm. So I think if that's a takeaway that we're gonna leave everybody with right there, not leave the show, but leave on that, their mind, write this down, that make sure you're not throwing away good money and you're working hard and taking some of these calls and following through. And also, there's a, there's a positive shift to that too. I mean, it, it can be very daunting and scary to think that hey, in, in this market right now, it's you know five thousand dollar cost to buy. But the uh, you know the way to look at that, I think, from a positive perspective, is every phone call that you come in, okay, I'm I'm that I'm one more phone call closer to uh, the income stream that I'm going to get off of the next deal that I buy. It's it, you know don't think about the cost because it can be daunting and, and and it can leave you with analysis paralysis, right? Um, think about each phone call being something that's leading you to that next deal. That's the way to look at it. How many times are you hitting the same person? How many times they get a postcard, then maybe a letter? How many times do you keep direct mailing the same list? So I've looked at these numbers and I've talked to some of the best people in the country that, that direct mail and, and what the answers are. And the answer is seven times. You have to hit them seven times. The money is actually in the follow-up. So even when the leads come in, if there's nothing there, they ought to be on some type of drip campaign mm -hmm. or some type of follow-up system. Things, timing, circumstances changes everything. Yep. You'll be surprised. That's where the real money is. It's in the follow-up. I totally agree with that, actually. We just bought a house um, last week. We've been following up with this lady for over a year. I first went there. We made an offer. Um, 
you know, over a year ago that, that was just, she, she almost kicked us out. It was, it was so too, too far low for her. Her pain situation wasn't strong enough at that point, but we kept touching base. We stayed in front of her. We stayed, you know, in front of her, her mind. Um, and at that point she wasn't calling anybody else cause she knew we weren't going to let her go. Uh, and then her situation shifted. Uh, something personal changed in her life. She still had that property, wasn't living there. It made total sense for her to sell. And we actually bought it for less this year than what we had offered last year that she kicked us out for. So follow-up is absolutely key, no question. One of the best experiences I ever had, and it was a four-leaf clover. And I find myself in this business in life, a lot of times you find something that works really well, so why do that again? Let's try something completely new and see how that works out. But I literally, I tweaked out my Google accounts, so I was found on Google for buying houses. I had a landing page that I built, and used the landing page, the person entered the information like six months earlier, it created a drip campaign and just followed through with them. I literally bought a house in Strongsville that I never had conversation with people until they called six months later off a of follow-up of organic traffic. Just amazing. It was, a, it was a good feeling and I did great on that. But do you have any similar experiences where someone has just been following your direct mail forever and they're like, my gosh, you keep sending me these letters and wow, you finally got me and this was the one. And do you track that when they say this is the one that was really grabbing? You know, I have, to, I have to look into it, not off the top of my head, but keep in mind, I don't answer my phone anymore. I have an acquisitions manager and we have call screens, so I'm not on those particular calls. Um, so I can't think of a scenario off the top of my head to, to answer uh, that question right now. Okay, so this whole work hard thing is for everybody else, <laughs> not for him. He goes, hey, I like to keep both hands on my he, Bentley's wheel because yeah. I don't like to talk. He put, his, he put his sign in though, that's yeah. the point, right? But I think right. that goes back to what Joe said earlier though too. I mean, you gotta hit these people at least seven times. Honestly, that's probably the average. Uh, is seven hits. And, and yeah. so you can just assume really that, that if you're getting that phone call, I mean, every now and then you're going to get a phone call from the person that just received a letter one time and happened to inherit a house and lives three states away. But usually that's, it's a seven hit situation. All right, we're talking about direct mail, the old good old postage stamp in the mailbox. How about direct email? Do you guys do any email campaigning? For sellers? To sellers? Yeah. No, actually, I don't. Do you? <laughs> no, I don't either. The only email campaign we do is when we, when the call comes in, we capture their information, right? right? Yep. So they follow up on our, our drip campaigns. It's the only only no. Yeah, we, we do we do we do emails for follow up for sure. Yeah, but yeah. like direct. Yeah, I, I've never um, never thought about doing that. Good idea. <laughs> yeah, good idea. So everyone listening now, we could stop stuff in the mailboxes, start stuff in the inboxes. <laughs> but that's the truth. I mean, there for a while, the mailboxes were just empty. Nobody was doing it because right. everybody was on that new the internet campaign where yeah. <laughs> everything's just going right there. But I get so many emails anymore. I'm so inundated by them. So I started doing direct mail as well. And it's it, it seemed like a great idea at the time. But I, I think there's a lot of competition. I'm sure that a lot of the same people have all three of our postcards sitting there. Mm -hmm. sure. So that brings my next question. Why you guys? Tell me why. What do you, what is your secret sauce that someone's going to look at your postcard over mine or over Brad's? Well, for, for me, it's not necessarily why they're going to look at this one or that one. It's branding, too. Like Brad says, he'll send, he has, he has his logos on his, on his postcards, and they just keep coming up there. There's that guy again. There's that guy again. You're trying to touch them in a unique way. You just keep drilling and drilling. We, we have seen a lot of people who will send a mail piece out, like I did last month. It flops, right? No deals. I'm out 3000 bucks. I'm like, I'm never doing that again, right? And that's where people stop. But it's the ones that continue and pr press through. You gotta have patience with you it. You gotta have patience. Yep. 
and, yeah. and, and that's what works. And then when you, you know, obviously the people business. So when that, when you do go out and see the people, you're building rapport and it really comes down to, do they know, like, and trust you and mm-hmm. they're going to work with you? I love, I love that you said it's a people business. Cause that's, that's, that is absolutely key. That is the way to look at this. We're not in the house buying business though. We buy houses, right? Mm-hmm. We're in the people business period. Sure. And though, you know, though they may get three or four or five postcards or, or 10 letters, right? If you get the opportunity to talk to that person, that's when the game starts. It doesn't matter if they're talking to 15 other investors or not. If they're talking to you, you focus on, on their needs, you build rapport with them, that's, that's really the crux of, of your situation and that's how you win in, in buying a deal from somebody. Now, are you changing the copy in your touching seven times? Is it changing somewhat every time or is it all staying pretty consistently the same? We change, we do postcard letter, postcard letter, we change it up. Postcard letter, postcard letter. I've always heard that you reference the previous one and then the next one in every direct mail campaign. So it's great. Have you tried that? You know, honestly, I, I stay pretty consistent with what we do. We, I don't make major changes or, or try and do any rotations with different types of, of media like that. I, t- I stay as consistent as I possibly can. So it's extremely recognizable. Um, that seems to work for me. All right. Now let's scare everybody. <laughs> this is where it's going to get I think scared. we already have. No, listen. <laughs> and this is not typical. These guys, how many years in the business? 20, 21. 12. 12, okay. So we have a lot of time here. So you didn't start out like this. Largest direct mail budget that you've spent in one month that you've been involved with. Maybe it's just you. Maybe it's a you and some other co-ops between some other investors. What's the biggest dollar amount you've written just for one single month? Um... Gosh, I would have to say probably about ten thousand dollars. About ten thousand, which is not a lot, you know, really. But uh, I have other, you know, channels that we buy houses from. So right, with direct mail specifically, ten grand. And it's funny you say that. It's like it's not a lot. I know it's not a lot. Right. And but the people at home are like, oh my gosh, ten thousand dollars. Right. So Brad, I mean, I, I've shared a lot of advertising costs with a lot of investors over time. Um, and we've spent. We we are in a lot of different media channels and do a lot of different types of advertising outside of just direct mail. Mm-hmm. I'd have to look at the numbers and see what the breakdown would be, but I think maybe twenty five grand uh, would probably be the answer to that question. About I'd have twenty five thousand mm-hmm. in a single month. In a single month, yeah. If you really truly target a good good list, you go out and you find maybe a vacant home here, or you find a divorce situation, or a probate. And you do a little research with public records to see that it has the right, the right triggers, and you write something, you are the Goodyear blimp over the person with a flat tire at that time, that it's really that message they're looking to hear, you can literally hit a group of 100 people seven times and probably get a deal out of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're really talking about $350 in a campaign. Okay. Yeah. I'll agree so. with you. Yeah. Well, well yeah, so you have, a, little, yeah. a little hard to follow, but I guess. Okay. So you have 100 people, seven times, that's 700 bucks, 50 cents a postcard. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So, and it'd be cheaper that with the 35 cents. Yeah. So, okay. Now, here's what I ask everybody on a takeaway here What freedom has, has real estate <laughs> given you? And I know the answers. I'm probably going to bust your chops about this one here. So, what, what freedoms has not just real estate, but maybe dr- using direct mail? What is it given for you and your family? The, the freedom of business given me is I do pick my kid, take my kids to school every day. I pick them up every day, uh, which is a great freedom. I stop work at 3.30. Uh, it's, it's almost June. And from June 1st to August 23rd, I don't work. I take the entire summer off, hang out with the kids. 
Um, as I like to say, uh, this business has given me the opportunity to play all out. And now I play all out with work. I'm playing all out with my kids and I'm gonna do that all summer. So for the last two summers, I've done that. I'm about to go on vacation here for two and a half months in about another week. And uh, that's another uh, great perk to, to the real estate business, you know? So everyone remember that work hard statement that he gave us earlier. <laughs> Thank you. He's gonna talk about going to the gym next week on the show. <laughs> All right, Brad, how about you? Tell us a, now Brad and I are more realistic and we have like real lives here and we actually still work. So Brad, tell us what freedoms it's given you and your family. I mean, honestly, look, like kind of like Joe said, I mean, there is a lot of, of value just in entrepreneurship in general. If you set things up appropriately and use the right kind of systems and the right kind of models, uh, there, is, there is a freedom that can come from that, especially in real estate where you can do things like take care of your kids. I never miss, I never miss a school play. I never miss a soccer game. I coached two sports for my son. Um, I've seen I've seen you know every dance recital for my daughter. It, it's, it allows you to just not have anybody else necessarily telling you what to do as long as you, you maintain and stay consistent within the business for yourself. You're not going to have a boss telling you what to do, but you got to get good like Joe and make sure that when you need to kick your own butt, you do. Right. Uh, that's, that's the key there. And my business doesn't stop this summer. I mean, with the right systems and processes and softwares, mm -hmm. you're able to continue to run this business almost on autopilot. Right. That's what years of experience will teach you how to do. Guys, it has been totally amazing having you on here. And this is one of those shows that we could probably go on and on and on again and go down so many rabbit holes. So we might have you back together or individually in the future just talking more about some of the crazy experiences we've had in this business. All right. I am Rob the House Guy, your host, and this has been the Real Estate Investing Roundtable. And remember, nothing works unless you do. This episode is brought to you by RealFlow, the smart way to invest in real estate all the tools you need to automate lead generation and marketing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to leave us a review and subscribe.